They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. Bowl. I am your host, John Harris, owner-proprietor of footballtakeover.com. I'm glad to be with you for another week of college football. Yes, we still have college football, and that, my friends, is a good thing. There are more things than COVID getting in the way, and we're going to hit that. we got a jam-packed show tonight. i got some news for you. We've got a tremendous interview guest with us tonight, a guy that I've known for a very long time, one of the greatest insiders there's ever been a college football. Chip Brown from Horns 24-7. He's also do, he also does the morning show at 1300 The Zone there in Austin. We talk a lot of Texas, Oklahoma. We talk about the Tom Herman dilemma and much, much more. So you'll definitely want to stay tuned for that. Then we will have our keys to the game brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. My man Scott McGrath does a tremendous job. We had an issue back in August. We had a smell in the house. and We didn't know what it was. And then we realized something's dead. And it's upstairs. I got on the phone. I texted my boy, Scott. He came right over, found the problem, which we never would have found. And our house was dead rat free. So McGrath Pest Control sponsoring Keys to the Game. And glad that Scott's along for the ride. And then, well, as always, have our pick them. And this week, we're going to do top 25 games in college football. How's that sound? Sounds pretty good. Last week did the Big 12. Week for that did SEC. This week I'm doing all of my predictions for top 25 games straight up and against the spread. And one of those games won't occur until Wednesday. I'll explain all that as we get to a little bit of news in college football. So let's get it rolling. All right. Hurricane Delta has made an impact. Now, my assumption is that Delta, the only Delta I've ever known was Delta Burke. So I'm calling Delta a sheep. She is going to wreak havoc on Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. And I can tell you this. I'm actually staying out in Galveston. In, if you're not familiar with this, if you're listening to somewhere outside of Houston, somewhere outside Texas, Galveston is right on the coast. And so we watch every hurricane with fingers crossed that, man, hopefully this thing is not going to hit anywhere. But, man, don't hit us. Well, I left to come to the building on Friday at about 630 in the morning. And man, it was blowing. It was already, I, I'm telling you, it had to be 35, 40 mile an hour winds. It's going to get much worse in Louisiana, in Mississippi, Alabama. So thoughts are with those people. But Hurricane Delta has already made changes for teams in the Southeast. LSU Mizzou game that was going to be at noon on Saturday has actually moved from Baton Rouge to Columbia, and it will be 9 p.m. Eastern on SEC's alternate network. Also, Alabama Ole Miss, that game's moved back to 7.30 Eastern time from 6 o'clock. Louisiana, top 25 ranked team, and Coastal Carolina, I was actually looking forward to seeing this game, is moving from Saturday to Wednesday. So that was going to be a noon game on Saturday, noon Eastern time. It is now going to be a Wednesday night, 7.30 Eastern time game. So, You've got all that Delta making an impact. You've also got COVID making impact as well. FAU at Southern Miss postponed due to COVID issues at Florida Atlantic. Kansas head coach Les Miles announced this week that he tested positive. That's the second coach that, just off the top of my head, Mike Norvell at Florida State, and now less miles at Kansas. I might be missing one in there, but those are the two that come to mind uh, because of COVID. Baylor is pausing their program and pausing things at the moment to reevaluate some recent positive tests. They're closing things down. They do not have a game this weekend, but they have a massive matchup with Oklahoma State on October 17th. So hope is that they can get in, get the building cleared, get everything up where it needs to be, get people back healthy, and be ready to go for October 17th. And then this final one as it relates to COVID, um, hit home. And I'll, when I uh, finished my degree at Brown, when I graduated, I went down to Jacksonville, Florida to ostensibly teach and coach for a couple of years and then move on, get into business, go to law school. I don't know. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to go a couple of years and coach, kind of 
make some money, figure out what graduate school I wanted to go to. Well, I ended up staying there seven years because I loved coaching. And one of the reasons I loved coaching was because at the time in Florida, the University of Florida and at Florida State, they're two of the great coaches of all time, Steve Spurrier and Bobby Bowden. And I revered both of them. And I had the opportunity to meet Bobby Bowden through the uh, Paul Bear Bryan Awards uh, sponsored by Marathon Oil. And I actually, that year that Bobby was announced as our Lifetime Achievement Award winner, I had an opportunity to speak that night. And I spoke to everybody in the crowd about what Bobby Bowden meant to me. And so when the show was over, I had an opportunity. But Coach Bowden was leaving. I was like, you know what? I might never get this opportunity again. And so I just took off of the door and was hoping that I could catch him. And I was like, Coach. And he turned around and he was like, boy, John, those are some really good words. And I'm telling you, I'll take that moment to my grave because he was one of the best. I mean, I was just, I, I was just, I was floored. It was one of the greatest moments just getting a chance to meet him, him giving me some kind words. And the kind words are going back in his direction. He's gotten a lot of them because he has been in the hospital with COVID. His wife, Ann, said he's doing well, but he is 90 years old. Um, so hopefully Coach uh, can get out of the hospital and get back home um, safe and sound. So uh, that's been tough. So a lot of COVID news. Now, there's also COVID-related stuff, if you will. And that kind of hits the next couple of bullet points. The Mid-American Conference, the MAC is coming back November 4th. It's going to be a seven-game schedule, and the championship game is going to be played Friday, December 18th. I love that news. I hope that they can get back. I know that a lot of conferences, Pac-12, Big Ten, MAC decided we're going to play spring football, saw things were going, and like, man, maybe we can get back. We've got more of the, the PCR testing. We've got that under control, so maybe we can get back. Maybe we can do this safely. Hopefully, with a seven-game schedule, they can get it done. The one... It depends on how you look at this, but I like seeing football every single night. But most of the games are Tuesday and Wednesday for that seven-week season for the MAC. That's kind of cool. You get NFL football in college on Thursday. You get some college on Friday. You get all college on Saturday. You get NFL on Sunday, NFL on Monday. Now you're going to get MAC on Tuesday and maybe Wednesday. And then, I mean, it's football seven days a week. So glad to see the MAC coming back. Now, one player who will not be coming back. And I think we all, as draft analysts, I guess I can fall into that category, wanted to see what redshirt sophomore quarterback Trey Lance would do with North Dakota State this year. Well, we had an opportunity last week. 15 to 30, 149 yards passing. Ran the ball very well. Showed off the skills. It was one game. It was against Central Arkansas. It wasn't perfect. In fact, through interceptions, the first interception he threw in his college career. But because of COVID, FCS teams, most of them, moved their season to the fall. But for some reason, they got this game agreed upon with Central Arkansas, who's been taking games all over the country. It's been kind of fabulous to watch. Central Arkansas get that done as a member of the Southland Conference. Trey Lance decided, I'm going pro. And he is going to be a fascinating, fascinating uh, analysis. I mean, I, I studied him. You want to see what I have to say? Even before the announcement of no season this year for North Dakota State, I did a deep dive into Trey Lance and what he looked like last year as a, as a redshirt freshman. You can check that out at footballtakeover.com. And my title was, is Trey Lance the player you don't know? I'm sure he's a name you've never heard of in some cases. He could be, could be. I know he's definitely top three. He could be top two in this 2021 draft. Depending on what happens with Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I would imagine both of them will go into the draft. But even if they both do, I still wouldn't be surprised to have Trey Lance in the number two spot behind Lawrence ahead of Fields. But all three of them are going to go to an NFL team and make a significant impact in 2021 and beyond. But Trey Lance, quarterback at North Dakota State, has declared for the NFL draft. Okay. It's time to get to our interview of the week, and this week it's with one of my favorite guys. First of all, he's one of the nicest guys that I've known. He is one of the great insiders in college football. Living in Austin, he's got a morning show on 1300 of The Zone with Michael Harge, and he's also one of the best you're going to find, one of the best writers you're going to find at Horns 27, uh, in the Horns 27, the 27, uh, 24-7 sports family. Chip does one hell of a job. 
But I wanted to start off going in the Wayback Machine. 10 years ago when he dropped a bombshell on the world of college football. Here's my interview with Chip Brown. Chip, I want to go back about 10 years. I think that's about right. When you dropped the bombshell on the world of college football in that Texas and OU, A&M, and I can't remember who else, was going to join the Pac-12 and make it the Pac-16. And I remember that being sort of a seminal moment and I think about that, that time a lot because of how the college football world is reconfigured now. How do you think things would have gone for Texas had they joined, and A&M and OU, had they joined the Pac-12 as opposed to what ended up happening with A&M leaving to go to the SEC and Texas OU staying in the Big 12? Well, I'll tell you what. Larry Scott would look like a genius <laughs> instead of the – uh, absolute bum that he's turned out to be with the, the Pac-12 because yeah. he had to get to the central time zone. He knew it. And if he had a bell cow like Texas, he would be able to uh, bring the Pac-12 into the central time zone, get more exposure for the, for the conference and football crazy places like, you know, Texas and in middle America, because we all know that the Pac-12 is out there and, and, California and the West Coast, where they got a million other things to do. Go hiking, surfing, <laughs> uh, in traffic. I mean, they got other things to do. So, you know, it's interesting. I've talked to people about it and, and how would it have turned out for Texas? And to this day, DeLos Dodds, who was the athletic director at the time, who really did talk his own president, Bill Powers, God, God rest his soul, uh, Bill Powers was a Cal grad. He was excited about joining the Pac-12, forming the, the or the Pac-10 at that time, forming the yeah. Pac-16. And DeLos Dodds kept coming back to, do we want to leave a conference that's based in Dallas for a conference that's based in Walnut Creek? And are we sure that we're going to have the same political um, influence or votes that we would uh, being in the Big 12? And, and he ended up talking Bill Powers out of it. And he said the, the biggest thing would be the student athletes having to travel from the West back to the East and yep. in the middle of the night, you know, having to fly out to the, to the, you know, Pacific time zone and compete and then fly back in the middle of the night, wake up, go to class. It, it put all of their student athletes at a disadvantage. He felt, um, there are others. I mean, Chris Del Monte, the athletic director at Texas now is a, yeah. is a Pac-10 guy. I mean, he worked at Washington State. He worked at Arizona. You know, I think he kind of looks back and wonders what if. But, um, look, fans would have loved the, tri the travels. You know, they would have loved going to San Francisco and L.A. and Scottsdale for games and then having those teams, USC, UCLA, Oregon, come in for games. But, you know, it uh, – it's fun to think about because for every, for every yay, there's a nay. For every nay, there's a yay. But um, we would have whittled down. We would have whittled down uh, to probably the, the top 64. And, and, and John, that, that day's coming still. That day is still coming because the, I mean, college, the power five is this close to breaking away from the NCAA in football. Yep. They'll probably stay with the NCAA in basketball because the NCAA actually runs the NCAA men's basketball tournament and has all that television revenue tied up in it. Yep. Um, there would be a huge antitrust lawsuit if Power Five broke away from the NCAA and, and you know, disrupted that television contract. But they can absolutely break away in football and form their own governing body. I've said they need one voice. I've had the commissioners say, no, you'd have to have – five different commissioners for whatever that new uh, college football power five landscape looked like, because the regions are so different right? in each of, you know, the sec, the, the big 12, the, the big 10, they're so different uh, from a mindset and, and the regions themselves are so different that you really would need all those voices. I don't know if that would work. I mean, you've heard, Nick Saban say we need a college football commissioner. I kind of agree. Who's yeah. dynamic enough to do it? I've yeah. I've said I'd vote for Reed Ryan. You know, I, I <laughs> yeah. Reed Ryan. 
would be great. Consensus builder, smart, gets college athletics. But, um, you know, I still think that day is coming. Reed Ryan would be very interesting. Oliver Luck would be the other name that comes to mind. Um, I don't know what he's got with that lawsuit with Vince McMahon and how that goes, but um, <laughs> that's, I just wish Oliver would get back into intercollegiate athletics because I think he is, I think he is, uh, he's excellent. And, and speaking of Chip, for those part of the reason I say real quick, John, part of the reason I say Reed Ryan is because of the streaming of MLB, BAM technology yeah, true. that Disney yeah. just bought, you know, 50% of because they are so, you know, invested in trying to get out of the cable model and into the streaming model. And they're, they're yeah. doing it with ESPN plus, but MLB is ahead of everybody else when it comes to streaming. And that's the next frontier. I mean, yep. we got media rights coming up in college football starting really negotiations can start really in 22. Um, but 23, 24, 25, you've got power five conferences and who's going to be in the bidding. I mean, are we, are we finally going to see Amazon and Netflix or, you know, Facebook involved in this? Or is that still a media rights contract away? And yeah. so we're all, we're all watching. It's going to certainly be interesting. There's no doubt. And, and Chip, obviously, I know you have a finger on the pulse of it. I know a few years ago when the Texas Longhorns made their deal with ESPN, that was very, very polarizing. There's no question about it. And then a couple of years ago, they brought on a coach. I don't know if I would say that Tom Herman's polarizing. I think in some sense he maybe is. What's been, Chip, lately the thought on Tom Herman as the leader of that Texas Longhorn program? I mean, he's not gotten them to that national championship level. They've won some New Year's Day six games. They beat Utah badly in a, in a, in a bowl game last year. But this year has been a little bit of a struggle as far. How is he perceived right now, uh, Tom Herman, in Austin, Chip? Well, this is the year that it was all supposed to come together. I mean, three top ten recruiting classes. And to be fair, if I'm looking back at Mac Brown, Mac Brown had number one recruiting classes, you know, in 2000, 2001, 2002. And it didn't come together until 05. So yeah. – and I think that Tom Herman has said, look, it took Mac Brown seven years to win a conference championship, and he's one of the most beloved coaches in Texas football history. Now, in 2018, Tom Herman said we're ahead of schedule. He said that. We've overachieved, he said. They got to the Big, they got to the Big 12 championship game. They lost after beating OU in the regular season. Then they beat Georgia in the, in the Sugar Bowl. And Sam Ellinger, now probably regretfully, Poor guy, because that guy's a warrior, said, we're back. Yeah. And then they weren't back. And so, really, 2020, and, and here we are in Mad Dog 2020 because of the pandemic and everything else, this was supposed to be the year. Four-year starter at quarterback, veteran, um, you know, defensive and offensive lines, skill talent from those top ten, three straight top ten recruiting classes, and then here we go. They get a near-death experience at Texas Tech, and then they can't cheat death two games in a row and lose as a double-digit favorite to TCU. And the fans are like, what? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Now, I've said Tom Herman's not coaching for his job this year, but he can put himself in a position to be coaching for his job next year if they don't get things turned around. And we're going to have to wait and see on that. But – John, you know how this is. I mean, I, 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 I looked at, at Ed Orgeron yep. after a 10-win season. He brought – he got rid of his OC, brought in Joe Brady, and the rest is history. Tom Herman was calling the plays in their 10-win season when they beat Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Yep. He should have gotten rid of Tim back then. He didn't. He brought Tim back back. But Herman was still calling the plays, doing offense by committee. And last year, everyone caught up to it. Yep. If you, if, I mean, if you go back and look at why they finished the regular season 7-5, and five, their offense fell off a cliff. Everyone talks about the defense, all oh, the injuries, oh, the defense, fire Todd Orlando. Yeah. God, the defense is giving up more points right now than it, than it was last year. And, and it was the offense that averaged 21 points per game in, the, in that four-game stretch where they lost to – 
to, to uh, TCU and Baylor and Iowa State. And, and good for Tom Herman. He made the change, but he made it a year too late. And so he gets caught in a pandemic with seven new assistant coaches, two new coordinators. And obviously that's, that's hurt their ability to coach it up and build the discipline and the, you know, the attention to detail in the offseason that you normally would. But that's for everybody. Everybody's dealing with that. No one cares. There are no excuses. This is Texas's year. Oklahoma's down. And by God, better get up on Oklahoma this year. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's a – this is a year where people are going to decide in their own minds, is Tom Herman the right guy to lead Texas to a possible destination the way Mac Brown did? Is he, you know, is he better than Dan Mullen at Florida? Is he, who is he? They're all trying to decide. It's not, it's not decided right now. How far will a win over Oklahoma go this Saturday? We'll talk a little bit more about the game specifically. But beating Oklahoma on Saturday, how far will that go to curry favor with maybe the power brokers in Austin? Or because Oklahoma's lost two in a row, does the luster of a win over Oklahoma, is that lost because Oklahoma has lost two in a row? What do you think about a win and how much that means for Herman and the perception of him in the program right now? Well, this has become a must win for Tom Herman because Oklahoma has – two conference losses and their defense can't hold leads. They got a first starter quarterback. I mean, on paper, Texas should win this game. And yet Vegas has OU favored. What does that say? I mean, that, that tells you they don't have faith in Tom Herman's ability to coach them up. And that's, that's a concern. And that's what you're hearing in the fan base right now. But a win over Oklahoma, no matter what year is always, celebrated by Texas fans might be celebrated a little bit less this year because Oklahoma state looks like the team to beat in the big 12. So we should beat Oklahoma. We should beat Oklahoma. Now we go set our sights on Oklahoma state and Iowa state and hell K state for that matter. K state's two and O to start off big 12 play. So it's, you know, it's one of those, it's a must win game for Tom Herman. I mean, he may not think that. He's got guaranteed money. He's making $6 million. His buyout is $15 million, I think, um, through 23. And he's going to get that money. But I do think Tom Herman wants to be an elite coach. I just don't know if he is an elite coach. And I think that's what we're all waiting to see. Usually those, those championship coaches reveal themselves in the first three years. John, you know this. I mean, yep. if you look at all the great Notre Dame coaches, Bob Stoops, Barry Switzer, yep. you know, pick one, Urban Meyer, they kind of revealed themselves within the first three years by winning a conference championship or even competing for a national championship. And, and so, you know, we're waiting to see if Tom Herman takes that step. Chip, you brought up a name there that's very intriguing because I've seen some things out on social media about a Tom Herman, Urban Meyer beef and all that stuff going on. I'll ask it from this perspective. If Urban were to somehow, the way that Urban works in the shadows, were to show interest in the Texas job at all, do you think that would hasten a Tom Herman exit that Urban Meyer would be interested in Texas? Not saying he is, but if he started to show some interest and say to the right people, Oh, yeah, I'd listen. Boy, that'd be a really good job, man. I could step in and do some different things. Do you think something like that would happen or could happen? Well, I think that the way the Board of Regents is constructed right now, and Chris Del Conte is the athletic director, Jay Hartzell as the president, I don't think they would hire Urban Meyer because I think they look at the whole – track record they look at florida the 30 police you know uh 30 arrests aaron hernandez ohio state with zach smith the lies you know the fact that he was basically suspended his way out of that ohio state job i think would say no um and i think chris del conte is still in charge of athletics now that sounds funny but every athletic director who is i've covered text 30 years every ad DeBloss Dodds, Steve Patterson, Mike Perrin, and Chris Del Conte all 
are checking the temperature of the biggest money boosters at all times because when those big money guys decide there's going to be a coup, there's a coup. And they, they decided Charlie Strong was out and they wanted Tom Herman because they didn't get Nick Saban. Right. And so, by God, we're getting our guy this time, and their guy happened to be Tom Herman. So I do think that Chris Del Conte, he's done so many things right. He's got $700 million in facility upgrades happening during a pandemic, and there's been no stop. I mean, that south end zone of Darrell K. Royal Texas Memorial Stadium will be done in August of 21 uh, for next football season, and it will be a palace. So and he's you know, redone everything. He's building a new basketball arena. Yeah, They're going to have championship facilities after this, and Chris Del Conte is still in charge. I, I don't think he's going to let go of Tom Herman short of a losing season or scandal yeah. at this point. So, like I said, I don't think Tom Herman's coaching for his job. And, in 2020. Well, I hope that makes the minister of culture very happy um, in Matthew McConaughey. I hope that he has shared a pop with you at some point, Chip, and you guys have sat <laughs> and talked a little Texas football. I hope that I hope that's happened at some point. Has it? I mean, he and I have not just sat down one-on-one. I've been in his presence, and trust me, when he says he doesn't wear deodorant, that is a fact. <laughs> I mean, my man McConaughey, is he is – Oh, natural. Let's put it that way. He <laughs> told that awesome. to Oprah, and that was no surprise to me because he would come to football practice and walk in and out of practice, and I'd be like, "Woo, That's Matthew, awesome. my man. That's awesome. Uh, Chip, I don't want you to talk me off the ledge on this, but I want you to tell me um, I'm crazy or I'm not crazy. But whenever linebacker Joe Osai decides to come to the NFL, he will be a top 20 pick in the NFL. I am a firm believer in that. Am I on track or am I completely crazy? Yeah, he doesn't know how good he is. Um, and he'll find out this year. He's, he's getting hot. He had three and a half tackles for loss against TCU, strip sack. He is 6'4", long arms, relentless, relentless. And motor for days can cover guys downfield. I agree, John. I'm with you 100%. He's a first-round pick. And – I think he'll start putting up the numbers to to bear that out. He was my preseason Big 12 defensive player of the year. And uh, he's a great character guy, too. So uh, he's he's on his way. I think he's going to be uh, a first-round pick. I hope he waits one more year so the Texans have a first-round pick in 2022 and grab him. <laughs> I think he would look really good uh, playing for us. Chip, let's dive, let's dive deep into this game against Oklahoma. Uh, obviously, Joseph Osai is going to play a role with the way that he has been playing and the pressure that he can put on uh, Spencer Rattler. But the Sooners have lost a couple in a row, and they've put up some numbers, but they don't look like the offensive unit they've been seemingly in the past. Spencer Rattler might be the most physically gifted quarterback that Oklahoma has had. But the defense has been uh, atrocious. I guess maybe that's the right word. Lost two in a row. One at home, one on the road. K-State and Iowa State. It's not like they lost Oklahoma State and Texas. They lost to K-State and Iowa State. What are your thoughts about this one? Oklahoma even still favored against Texas, Chip. What would you say is the key for the Texas offense? What would you say is the key for the Texas defense going against the Sooners? Well, the key for the Texas offense is to get into rhythm, and Mike Yersich and Sam Ellinger have been able to do that. They lead the nation in scoring. They've been a little uh, – they've gone a little flat late in second quarters and early in third quarters, which is troubling. Yeah. Um, they, they have not been consistent in the running game. It's been – they abandoned the running game against TCU in the third quarter yep. when they were averaging 14 yards a carry, largely because Sam Ellinger ran for 26 yards on, on third down. but. But then they did run it very successfully in the fourth quarter, and you made you wonder, what were you doing getting away from this? Yeah. And so, you know, they've got to, they've got to be able to run the football. They've got to be able to run the football. Um, the, the Texas – I mean, the weird thing is Texas and Oklahoma sort of mirror each other in terms of their, their problems, and neither one thought there were going to be problems on the offensive line, and both are having some problems on the offensive line. And, and Texas, because they had to move right tackle – 
Derek Kerstetter to center. That's not a natural position for him. He's, he's taking one for the team there. He's 6'5". His arms are long. He's not what you typically – he's a tackle is yeah. what he is. And right. so, you know, he's trying to get it figured out. Uh, they got two new starters on the right side of the line who've been up and down. Uh, Denzel Okafor at guard and Christian Jones at tackle. Christian Jones played much better against TCU than he did against Tech. But Ellinger is the equalizer. I mean, he's the eraser. He's the guy who just on third down makes bleep happen. Yep. I mean, he ran – they converted third and 25 last, last week. I mean, this guy is a blood and guts warrior. He comes through. I mean, obviously he's thrown a couple picks each of the last two games. But when they've needed him to come through, he's led the rally. They were down 15 with 313 to go at Tech, and he went 10 of 11 passing to win the game. Last week, he takes him right to the goal line, and Keontae Ingram idiotically, you know, extends the ball when he's not even close to the goal line, gets it stripped, they lose the game. Um, As far as the Texas defense, they got to get pressure. They've got to get pressure. On Spencer Rattler, I think back to this game in, in 2016, Baker Mayfield's first uh, OU game. Yeah. And he came out of the tunnel, horns down. He was so pumped up. And the Texas defense just stuffed him. I mean, Malik Jefferson sacked him twice. Yeah. He never he never got going. Texas, the, OU was number 10 in the country in that game. Texas stunned him under Charlie Strong. Uh, probably the high watermark for Charlie Strong, honestly. But, you know, this is a game where on paper, the two areas that typically win this game are who's more physical and who's got the better quarterback. And I look at Texas on the offensive and defensive line. I mean, they have Sam Cosme, a NFL draft prospect, OU starting a true freshman at left tackle. So, I mean, you've got a first-year starter at quarterback for OU and a four-year starter at quarterback for Texas. I mean, these are things. And Texas's defense has played okay. They had a terrible game tackling against Tech. Yeah. Their DBs have been in position. They just haven't made the play. Whereas OU is missing tackles all over the place, and they're folding. Like, they had a 21-point lead against K-State. They couldn't hold it. Yep. They had a seven-point lead against Iowa State. Couldn't hold it. Um, you know, Texas is rallying late. OU is folding late. Obviously, this game changes everything. It brings out a different set of mind, you know, mindset, whatever, uh, because it's the Red River shootout. But my goodness, on paper, Texas should win this game, and yet Vegas says, oh, use the favorite. Last one, Chip, I'll leave you with, and I want to go back to this game. Do you have a favorite OU Texas, Texas OU matchup? from you covering it. I don't know how many years you've covered. I know you've probably done a few. Is there one that stands out more than any other in your mind? No question. 2008. Yeah. OU had two 11-point leads in the game. It was Sam Bradford against Colt McCoy. Yeah. And Texas went with – they moved Jordan Shipley. They took the tight end off the field, moved Shipley – uh, into what we called their four wide flex. They moved yeah. Shipley all over the place. He, they matched him up on linebackers, and he destroyed them. He and Quan Cosby combined for 20 receptions in that game, and Texas came back and, and beat him 45-35. And OU was number one in the country. Texas was number five. That was, that was the best team that, that never won a championship at Texas, by the way. And they got, you know, they, they missed out by decimal points on the, on the coaches poll vote. But that, that team, I think, would have won the national championship against Florida. Their defense was so good. I mean, it was Earl Thomas. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, Lamar Houston, uh, Sergio Kendall, uh, the cornerback, you know, Aaron uh, Williams. I mean, they had NFL players all over the place. Um, but that was easily the best Red River shootout I've ever covered. Chip, you're the absolute best, man. Thank you so much. That was, uh, that was great stuff, and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again down the road, my friend. But that was fantastic. Thank you, brother. John, you are the man. Keep up the great work yourself, my man. That was an absolute blast, and I apologize for the little bit of an echo at the beginning. We got through it through the first question. I could hear it. I got rid of it. Look, I'm not a technological guy. I'm a football guy. Um, so I'm 
doing the best that I possibly can to make sure that I just get this information to you and I get it out through a podcast. So uh, I apologize for that. Now, before we get into our keys to the game this week, brought to you by McGrath Pest Control, got a few seconds for my friends at the Texas Bowl. I want you to join a Texas Bowl and support the Pelchin Children's Center through the Gridiron Legends online auction. Bid on exclusive autograph memorabilia, a top-of-the-line Legends wine cellar, my goodness, one-of-a-kind experiences, and more. Bid now at texasbowl.givesmart.com or text Bowl to 7678. texasbowl.givesmart.com or text Bowl to 7678. One of the best experiences you're going to have with that is you can bid on a round of golf with University of Texas football legends Vince Young and Selvin Young, and both those guys from the greater Houston area. So, uh, I, I, look, if I could play golf, I would absolutely do all I could to bid uh, on something to play with Vince Young and Selvin Young. The last time I played golf, uh, I nearly ran over the president of the Houston Texans, Jamie Roots. So that's the last time I played golf, and I don't really want to relive that situation. So I'm going to stay away from the golf course, if at all possible. So check that stuff out, and huge thanks again for our partnership with the Texas Bowl. The date for the Texas Bowl probably announced, I think, in about a week or two, or it's supposed to be. So obviously we'll try and break that exclusive news here on the Football Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. All right, it's time for our keys to the game this week, brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. If you've got an issue with ants, mosquitoes, rats, squirrels, rodents of any kind, my man Scott's going to get you taken care of. McGrath Pest Control sponsors our keys to the game. And this week, our game is Texas v. Oklahoma, or If you're north of the Red River, it's Oklahoma v. Texas. However you want to look at it, go for it. I'm I'm all about it either way, but I just know that there will be Texas orange on one side, there'll be crimson and cream on the other, and those two teams will battle in Dallas, and that's the way that it should be. All right, let's talk about Texas. Let's go through Texas' keys to the game against Oklahoma. And I think first and foremost, the one thing that the University of Texas must, must do against Oklahoma is make sure that Spencer Rattler holds on to the football. And here's what I mean by that. Spencer has not been one, two, three, throw, one, two, three, throw, or one, two, three, four, five, set, throw. He's done a lot of holding on to the football, and that works at times. His receivers work to get open. But a lot of times what it's doing is it's frustrating Spencer because now he's got to get out of the pocket and now he's got to decide, do I run, do I throw? But if Texas allows him to hold it, I think that actually works in their favor. And I think they've got different ways that they can get to Spencer Rattler, make him throw a little bit earlier than he wants to. Joseph Osai ends up being a really big factor for them in that regard. But I think if they force Spencer to hold it with good zone coverage – And he's not thrown into air. He's going to panic. And that's when he starts to make some mistakes. Now, he'll make a couple of big plays, but he'll also make some mistakes as he has to scramble a guy out of the pocket. He does not like to stand and stay in the pocket. When things aren't on time, he wants to move. And I think that's where Texas can really take advantage of Spencer Rattler from that, that situation. Offensively, the Texas offensive line, especially on the right side, you heard Chip talk about that. That has been a struggle. That's got to be better. They've, that right side of the offensive line has got to clean things up. And I know that they don't really want to run Sam a bunch more, but I think Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator there for University of Texas, I think he does a bang-up job. He's gotten guys wide open in this offense. I think they should scheme some things up to get Sam a few more designed runs. Now, in the past, I've said they run him too much. Now I'm thinking they're not running him enough. I think there's a happy median there. I think they should have at least three to five called plays for Sam in this game. And I'm not sure that Oklahoma will be able to handle it, but that right side's got to step the game up, and you throw in there some additional quarterback runs for Sam, and I think that's going to help the Texas offense in this one. On the Oklahoma side, number one, I'm going to start with Oklahoma defense. This one's really, really simple. 
the tackling and the pursuit has been atrocious. Atrocious. They are not getting to the football in good position to make tackles. And because they're not there, they're diving, they're lunging, they're not in good fit position to make a tackle. Guys are breaking tackles. Brees Hall, it felt like Brees Hall last week from Iowa State broke about 80,000 tackles in that game. And the run fits were awful. When they weren't missing tackles, they weren't getting in the right fit where they needed to be. So tackling and fit have got to work better for Oklahoma. Now, Texas doesn't run the ball very well, but if they start running Sam Ellinger because they know Texas isn't going to be able to handle it, that tackling better be on point. And from an Oklahoma standpoint, if Sam's carrying it, you better bring the lumber on that big fella. Bring the lumber and hit him. Make him pay for carrying the football. Offensively, we could go to that point about Spencer getting rid of the ball on time, but I would like to see a little bit more in the run game. Maybe a little bit more power read. Maybe use the screen game. I like McGowan, number one, uh, young running back. I think they've got some quick guys in the backfield in the run game that they can use. But I don't think Oklahoma's offensive line has been as good as it was even last year. Now, part of that is because they ran the ball more with Jalen Hurts last year. They're not going to do that with Spencer. They're more in a pass protection mode with Rattler back as quarterback. But I do think they've got to try and run the football and establish that part. Because one thing they'll do, University of Texas will, they'll have a moment during the game where they'll have a brain cramp, whether it's players on the field or coaches on the sideline. Case in point, second and five last week against TCU. In the fourth quarter, Chris Ash, defensive coordinator, calls for a stunt where he's got two wide three techniques, two wide fives, and both inside linebackers are outside the tackles. So if you looked at it from the end zone view, there was just this straight line to the end zone. Well, he had a stunt call where he's looping the ends inside, but Max Duggan came up, changed the play call to a quarterback trap, basically, quarterback draw, and that basically nullifies that stunt because those inside guys are coming behind. Well, the, the blockers are already downfield. They just wall them off, and Duggan just ran straight to the end zone. Linebackers are too wide. It was a terrible play call. By defense coordinator Chris Chris Ash, and TCU took advantage of it. Oklahoma's got to be able to take advantage of it when Texas is misaligned and do that in the run game. So there you go, keys to the game. Now, with every key to the game, uh, keys to the game, I always I pick a winner. Oklahoma is actually favored in this one by two and a half, and I can sort of see Vegas's thinking on this that Oklahoma has been much more effective offensively and jumping out the leads, they just can't hold the lead. But Texas, on the flip side, as, as Chip pointed out, they've gotten down a little bit, but they've been able to score, came back against Texas Tech, came back on TCU, took a lead, had a lead, should have won the ball game, but fumbled down on the goal line, Keontae Ingram. I think if Texas can avoid that mistake, then you know what, I'm going to go with Texas on a mild upset to win and obviously cover that two and a half. I think Sam Ellinger wants this one badly. There's nothing as a kid growing up in the state of Texas, in Austin, going to the University of Texas, there's nothing more that he's going to want than to beat University of Oklahoma. And I think this year, Sam gets it done. He's thrown 14 touchdowns this year with only two interceptions. I think a big game here makes a statement. Texas stays on track. And I'm going to give the win to the Horns and give them the cover on that two and a half. All right, let's finish it up with our predictions. Straight up and against the spread, all games this weekend, including top 25 teams. I just gave you that one for the Oklahoma-Texas game as Texas is ranked 22nd in the country. And I gave you that. Texas to win and cover that two and a half. So let's get to the rest of the games, and let's start with Virginia Tech taking on North Carolina in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, led by Sam Howell, 2-0, Virginia Tech, 2-0. Virginia Tech has dealt with a ton of COVID issues, having 23 players out week one, having, I think, 20 or 21 out in week two. I think that catches up to them this week. 
because this is a really good North Carolina team. Sam Howell's got them going. Daz Newsom at wide receiver. They've got lethal combination. They've got a bunch of athletes on offense. And I don't know that Virginia Tech is going to be able to hang on the way they did last week against Duke um, and then the first week against NC State. Carolina's going to win this at home by a touchdown. That'll cover the four and a half. Take the heels to win and to cover. Saturday night game in Columbia now is LSU going against Missouri. Missouri had one COVID issue this week. Seven guys have been affected from a contract, contact tracing perspective. LSU had to move this game because of a hurricane. We've seen LSU have to deal with this for years, years. But I don't think it impacts LSU enough to win the game. LSU will win the game, but take Missouri to get inside the 20-point number. I just think LSU wants to get this win and get out. I don't think they're going to be in let's dominate mode. I think they're going to be in a let's get business done mode, take care of business against Missouri, get the win, and get out. That game again, Saturday night in Columbia at 9 p.m. Eastern. Florida's taking on Texas A&M. Boy, this is going to be a good one. Kyle Trask from Manville High School. His parents both went to Texas A&M. What's his name? Kyle. Yeah, Kyle Trask, named for Kyle Field, will play at Kyle Field. And the Aggies need to bounce back from that pasting they took at Alabama. Florida's the wrong team to be facing for that. I do think Florida wins this game, but I think A&M shows some nuts, and they get inside that six and a half. Florida's going to have to win this late. I think Kyle Trask with a late drive, and I think Kadarius Toney, the Weapon X player for Florida, is one player A&M cannot match up to, and he's the difference. Florida wins this thing by less than six and a half. Florida win A&M to cover. Texas Tech goes to Iowa State. Iowa State's won two in a row in the Big 12. Brees Hall was amazing last week against Oklahoma. I think he runs wild this week over Texas Tech. Iowa State favored by 12 and a half. I like Iowa State to win this by a couple touchdowns. Cyclones go to 3-1 and and 3-0 and in the Big 12. Tennessee goes to Georgia, and the line is off on this game. So let's just go straight up. Tennessee has played much better, more consistently, but Georgia was dominant defensively. Dominant. That front, Jordan Davis, Monty Rice at linebacker, that secondary with Campbell and Stokes, LeCount, that is a dominant defense, and I think Tennessee runs into a brick wall in Athens. Georgia gets the win at home. UTSA is 3-1. and one. Took an L last week. BYU, Zach Wilson, early Heisman candidate, and a guy that I know Andre Ware told me about last year. I remember we came back from a game. We were calling a game, and before we get started, we always kind of talk about things. And I said, what did you have last night? He goes, oh, BYU. He didn't tell me who they played. He's like, Johnny, let me tell you about this Zach Wilson. This quarterback, boy, he is really good. He is really good. BYU is going to get that win. There's no line in this game, but take BYU to win that one big. Arkansas goes to Auburn. Arkansas, congratulations for a big win. Sam Pittman's first win as the head coach at Arkansas. They went on the road and beat Mississippi State. They got to go back on the road to take on Auburn. I think this is where it trips up Arkansas, even though they've played much better. I think Felipe Franks has been in, the, been in the fryer of the SEC. I think he can handle the heat, but Auburn's going to get back on track. I do not like the 14. I think Auburn gets back on track, but Arkansas is going to make it tough. That defense led by Bumper Poole at linebacker is going to make it tough for, our, uh, for Auburn, but Auburn's going to get a seven-point win. Spreads 14, take Auburn to win, Arkansas to cover. Maybe the best game of the weekend. Miami. Goes to Clemson. Clemson's favored by 14. Now, I could see, I, I see a lot of different scenarios with this one. But I feel like spotlight on Miami, this time they'll respond in large part because Rhett Lashley, offensive coordinator, and quarterback Derek King. Derek King's been through the ringer. Playing Clemson, to him, it's going to be nothing with what he's been through throughout his career. I'm going with Miami to cover, to get inside the 14. But this feels like a 10-14 to point win for Clemson. This will be the most stern test Clemson's had facing a defense like Miami. 
with Jalen Phillips on one end, uh, Quincy Roche on the other. I think they'll struggle a little bit with that Miami defense. This feels like 31-20 to 20 Clemson. That's under the 14. Miami to cover, Clemson to win. Alabama goes to Ole Miss. The over-under on this game is 69.5, and, and I don't think that's enough. Go way over that number, maybe by halftime. Alabama's favorite on the road by 23.5. They could win this thing 59-35, and that covers both the over and actually gets Alabama cover uh, with a 23.5-point spread. You know what? Alabama's offense is so explosive. They can hurt you in too many ways. Florida put up 51 on Ole Miss. I think Alabama's defense is better than Florida's when it was 51-35. Let's go with that 59-35 score. That gives Alabama a cover. It gets us the over. Alabama wins, stays at 3-0. So let's go with Alabama to sweep that thing, covering and winning. Final top 25 game of the weekend is Florida State going to Notre Dame. Notre Dame is favored by 21. Now, they haven't played in a few weeks. I think it's been three weeks since we have seen Notre Dame play a game. They were supposed to play, and I'm trying to remember who that that uh, that game was they lost, but they lost a game um, at some point. They beat South Florida by 59, and then they've been off. Oh, it was Wake Forest. That September 26th game was canceled. October 3rd was a bye week, and so Notre Dame will get back on the field. They'll have a little bit of rust, but Florida State's just not a good football team or program at this point. I think Notre Dame makes quick work of Florida State. Let's go 42-17 to in this one. That gives Notre Dame, playing at home, the win and the cover, and that will do it for the show tonight. A big thanks to my man Chip Brown, and thanks to my advertisers, to McGrath Pest Control, and of course, my good friends at Lone Star Sports Entertainment and our partnership with the Texas Bowl. You guys are the best. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week, and enjoy college football this weekend. This is the Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl on takeover, footballtakeover.com.